football talk like you've never heard before. The pinky finger goes up the nose. Ugh. From the tailgates. A million percent correct. Those are the best fries in the universe. To the touchdowns. He's going for the corner. He's got it. We have everything covered. Place at the table. <laughs> Here's Andy Staples. His squad is in the house. Welcome to the Place at the Table podcast. Very special guest this week from CBS Sports, from Sirius XM Radio, from his own podcast, the SEC Smothered and Covered podcast. Any Waffle House reference automatically becomes one of my favorite things. <laughs> Barrett Salee. Barrett, how's it going? I'm good, Andy. It's uh, another season in the books. We uh, we got to watch an SEC championship game. We got an interesting college football playoff. People are mad online, and uh, yeah, things are things are well right now. Before we get into the coaching carousel stuff, which is the the hot topic of the day, let's talk about the playoff and the playoff selection. You and I saw each other in Atlanta at the SEC championship game, and that one it was easy. Georgia won. Georgia's in. But what it created was some intrigue. Would Ohio State get in if they beat Wisconsin? Or would Alabama kind of backdoor its way in without really a, a big signature win? And we know what happened. Alabama got in the playoff. Were you surprised that Alabama got in? I was because I think the general consensus going in was that for Alabama, actually the better thing would have been Auburn beating Georgia again. That way you just do away with Georgia completely. You have a comparative uh, you know, mark against them, and, and, and Alabama probably gets in a little easier if Auburn is the SEC champion. But, um, yeah, I was surprised uh, because I thought, for, let's be real about why the college football playoff exists. It exists because of low television ratings between LSU and Alabama. In, after the 2011 season. Well, it also because exists of, because the Big 12 was mad Oklahoma State got left out. Sure. The SEC and ACC were already behind a four-team playoff. So when you put that third group in, the math worked out. That, that was going to happen. Right. So, but, but let's think about what we have now. Um, or at least going in. You have the SEC champ, which was Georgia or Auburn. It obviously is Georgia. You've got Clemson, which is an hour drive from, from Athens. You've got Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is two and a half from Atlanta. And then you've got Oklahoma, which is kind of in the footprint. You've kind of got a regional Final Four right now. Uh, you've got a right. regional college football playoff. Which I didn't any, think they wanted that. Any television programmer would tell you is terrible for ratings. So exactly. it, any any conspiracy theory someone may have about ESPN or, or anybody pulling strings for this particular group no, 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 no. That doesn't make economic sense. If I'm a TV programmer, here's what I want. Alabama, Ohio State, USC, yep. and Texas. Exactly. Those are the teams every I want year. in the playoff every year. Exactly. So that, that's, um, that, that is the surprising thing to me. And, and that's a, a bad reason to be surprised because that's not the reason why the college football playoff should exist. But that's the reason it does exist. And, you know, they'll never tell you that. And I know you've gone through the mock selection process and they don't tell you that stuff. But those people in that room, they know why they're there. They understand why this whole thing exists. So that surprised me. And when it comes to resumes, I mean, look, you're talking about um, two very flawed resumes for the number four spot. I, you know, Ohio State is what it is. Losing 31 to Iowa, it's, it's not acceptable. Uh, you know, losing by two touchdowns to Oklahoma at home, not great. 
Um, I don't necessarily think Ohio State's that good. But here's the thing that bothered me, and Alabama fans have been yelling at me on Twitter ever since uh, you know Sunday morning. We all talked about the eye test with Alabama, right? Like the eye test, the eye test, the eye test. Like, did I miss the part of November where Alabama looked good? Yeah, they didn't really pass the eye test in November. That's that's what's. But I will tell you where the eye test came in. This is this is when I was sitting there Saturday night, Sunday morning, trying to figure out what the committee would do. And here's when I started to lean toward they're going to take Alabama. I was trying to selfishly decide who I wanted to get into the, the playoff because what would make my life easier on January 1st? You know, this is how sports writers think. Exactly. What will allow me to get my story in faster and not have me trying to write two stories at the same time on deadline in case one team wins or the other team wins? So I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, so I know Clemson's going to be number one. I know I got to cover the Sugar Bowl. So who do I want to see Clemson play in the Sugar Bowl that will make my life the easiest? And I go, well, I want them to play Ohio State because there's more light, there's more of a chance that I'll have my story written by the end of the second quarter. That is true. And, <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a second. Way. That's why they should pick Alabama. <laughs> and, and when you heard Kirby Hocutt talk and you talked to some people who were in the room, that's what happened. They were told, pick the four best. They went in there Saturday, and after Ohio State beat Wisconsin in that Big Ten championship game, they voted. And they decided Alabama was the fourth best team, and it wasn't all that close. But and so they here's looked at the thing though. Yeah, and, and not to cut you off. Here's the thing: the that's wrong because the four best teams in the country are Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and I'd say Auburn. Even though Auburn's got three losses, that so, a healthy Auburn with a healthy carry on Johnson, I think you're right on that one. Yeah, and so like, but and so here, and is I wrote this uh, this week. It's like, look, you know, we just had an extremely uh, uh, contentious debate over a number four team that either way I didn't necessarily think was all that good. Yeah, I mean, they, they have speaking. to pick a fourth, and the fourth, the choices for the fourth were all horrendously flawed. Yeah. So, I mean, look, this is what people ask for. You want an expanded playoff, and, and this is what it is. So, um, I, And I'll know. tell you, it's, it's, it's proven to be even better than, than anybody thought in terms, yeah. of, in terms of engagement in the sport. You know, here's the thing. The people who were defending the BCS back then, one of the things they said was it, will, it won't keep people from arguing. And then now people say if you go to eight, it won't keep people from arguing. Nobody understands. The arguments are the point. Yeah, that's people love the arguments. They they may say they hate the arguments, but they secretly love the arguments. They, that, they the they, arguments they give us something to do for eleven months out of the year. Exactly. So like that, and that's the that's what I what I always get people. They're like, oh, we got to go to eight. We got to have automatic bids. Why? Like that's that's no. Let's not do that. That's the last thing we need. But here's the thing that that I don't think people real enough people talked about with this whole debate is you know. I am a, I like the BCS. I don't want playoff expansion. I'm fine the way it is. I do some tweaks here and there, whatever. But the, people like me and, and a lot of people that defend the playoff always say, well, you can't cut away from the importance of the regular season, right? Like that's, that's the number one argument that everybody always make. And look at what happened this year. We had, at the time, an Iron Bowl that meant literally everything in reality, mean absolutely nothing, which is 
cutting away the importance of the regular season. But now here's the thing, Barrett. It doesn't matter if it means nothing retroactively. It only matters if it means I, something exactly. when it happens. It's and it sure as hell felt like it meant something when I was there. I know. It's crazy, though. Like, like that literally, like, think about the reaction of that night. Like, oh, my God, you know, Auburn looked great. They're going to the SEC championship game. They basically dominated except for two minutes of this first drive of the second half. And this is this is not what people expected. And the whole college football world changed. And then a week later, it was as if it never happened. It was it was just it's it's crazy to think about that how how I think the the retroactively the regular season already has been negated. But isn't but it hasn't been negated because we're interested and engaged while it's happening. Uh, no, Ohio, no, take sure. take Ohio State last year. When Ohio State lost to Penn State, they're out. That's it. Done. They cannot get back into the playoff at that point. And then Michigan loses to in, to Iowa, and all of a sudden, wait a second, what's going on here? Wait, Penn State's going to win the Big Ten now? Wait, Ohio State might sneak in anyway? Yeah. What? And and that kept us engaged and kept us arguing. And again, the argument is the point. Yep. And this creates the best argument. Exactly. The arguments become a little bit lessened if you go to eight. Now, I've always been a, a, a go-to-eight person. I have recently come off that. Mm-hmm. Re- I, I've turned into a playoff stand. For yeah. the first time in my life, Bill Hancock and I agree on something. <laughs> that it, I, it feels weird for me, too. But, I mean, it, it's true. I think this actually worked out to be the most interesting alignment. And that's not – people don't understand. You need to do the most interesting thing. It's not the best thing for the sport. or They're going to do the most interesting thing because that makes the most money. That keeps you the most engaged. And I will tell you from talking to some people in New York this week you know, who run college sports, they're not going to eight because of this. No. There's not a bunch more money in going to eight. In fact, there may be less money in going to eight because, because of the climate right now. Anything yeah. that is perceived as lengthening the season – means you got to give more to the players. If you're going to expose them to more hits, you got to give more to the players. They don't want to do that. The the games themselves, the four uh, quarterfinal games, would not be worth as much as you'd have to give up on the back end, either, either a 12th regular season game that you'd have to give up or conference championship games that you'd have to then give up. You'd make less money if you did that. So... Yeah. Add that to the fact that there's still rampant cronyism in college football and they don't want to kick the balls out, even though they should, and you have a recipe for them not making any changes to this. So I, I would think four teams is probably going to go at least through the 12-year contract and, and potentially longer because it meets the needs of the people in charge at the moment. Because remember, the older people in charge still want to grease the bowls. Because the Bulls greased them for a long time. So they still want to give you know, the Bulls their, their chance to, to take part in this. When, in reality, you don't need the Bulls. The Bulls are irrelevant. You should, you should play the semifinals at home sites. It should mean something at the end of the, in the championship games, the conference championship games, to figure out you know, whether maybe Alabama's going to have to play in Madison. You know, whether, whether you play in Madison or Tuscaloosa would be on the line. How awesome would that be? That would be fun. That'd be incredible. Yeah. But they're That'd not. That'll never. They don't want that to happen, and it'll probably take 
a new generation of commissioners for something like that to happen. Because, you know, back when there wasn't a ton of money to be made in college sports, the free golf and all that stuff that the Bulls used to give those guys, that meant a lot to them. Now, it doesn't mean anything. You know, ADs are rich, commissioners are rich, they don't care. They're round of golf, who cares? Yeah. So, it, it's, but but it, that's, it, that's where it's at. It, and it, it's funny, and, and because of that, that's, that's why I wrote, you know, this week, it's like, let's stop trying to, to trace back, to, you know, the playoff scenarios of the previous three seasons, and let's stop like trying to try to explain the unexplainable. Like this is the college football playoff. It's subjective. The committee understands it. Just go along for the ride. It's going to change every year. The landscape of the sport's going to change every year. The definition of what makes a team playoff worthy is going to change every year. Just go with it. Don't don't try to fight it because if you fight it, then you take away, like you said, the fun of it, and that's the fact that we get to yell and scream at each other about this for 12, 12 months out of the year. You're exactly right, and here's the thing. If you were to go back to the BCS era and look, and just do a cut line of the top four teams, it doesn't matter how you pick them, because people say, oh, the committee's corrupt. Whatever. You would get the same four almost every time. Mm-hmm. Maybe one team different in a couple years, but for the most part, the same four almost every time, no matter how you pick them. Whether you vote, use computers, use a committee, doesn't matter. It all ends up being about the same. So, yeah, that that's the part that it, it's funny because people tie themselves in knots over this and want to find various conspiracy theories. But the fact of the matter is there's not really a conspiracy. It's just hard when you have 130 teams in, in the FBS. You have 65 in the Power Five plus Notre Dame. It's hard to pick four. It is. Just make it up as you go, which is fine. Yeah. And and as as I always say, the differences in college football, some some conferences play nine conference games, some play eight. Uh, ACC teams, five of them have to play Notre Dame. I think the differences are what make college football a more interesting sport. And if you're insistent on a very organized, orderly way of populating the postseason, then just watch the NFL. Exactly. Which is boring because like six, eight, and eight teams get in. Which la- last time I checked, a 500 team does not deserve a national title. It just doesn't. Unless they can catch the ball pinned to their helmet. That well, yes. <laughs> Unless that happens, and, and or beat, they play the and beat the previously the, undefeated team. Yeah. Or they play, or they play the Falcons in the Super Bowl because the Falcons will find a way to hand you in that a, a title in that situation. That's right. All right, let's shift gears and talk about the coaching carousel now. As, as I've had to do in these last few podcasts, we got to timestamp them because these are really fluid situations and things change. And by the time you listen to this, Tennessee may have already hired a coach, but it is 1.37 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. Tennessee has not hired a coach yet. Oregon has not hired a coach yet. But Willie Taggart has gone to Florida State. Jimbo Fisher has gone to Texas A&M. Uh, Josh Heupel has gone to UCF. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's been a lot of movement. So... The latest right now is that Tennessee is is working on a decision between several coordinators that they've talked to. And the one who seems to be the hottest at the moment is Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt. How do we feel about this, Barrett? You know, I'm okay with it. You know, I think they're trying to find the same sort of path that Georgia made. Although, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, while he's had success as a defensive coordinator, is not nearly as accomplished as, as Kirby Smart was as a defensive coordinator. So, you know, the idea that you're going to try to pair a defensive-minded guy uh, with 
uh, with, uh, uh, you would imagine, T. Martin or some sort of dynamic offensive coordinator who has full autonomy to call plays, that's, that's fine with me. Um, Tennessee needs relentless recruiters. Jeremy Pruitt is definitely that. Uh, how is he going to act as a head coach? I have no idea. Right. He, he's not, you know, he comes, he came from the high school ranks originally, but he was not a high school head coach. He was a high school defensive coordinator when yeah. he got the player personnel job at Alabama. Yeah. And with guys like that, I mean, look, and really any first time head coach in the SEC, you're going to have a ton of growing pains. You're going to do a lot of stuff wrong uh, from January through August that will impact you in September, October, and November. Uh, and so, if it's if it's Jeremy Pruitt, that's fine. What I would tell Tennessee fans, whether it's Jeremy Pruitt or somebody else, just be patient. You know, yeah, you might have your guy, and yeah, you might start cleaning up on the recruiting trail and, and add to a roster that's pretty darn good right now. But you also are going to have what amounts to freshman mistakes from a head coach who is basically a freshman making you know dumb decisions that he's never made before. So I I, I think Jeremy is is capable of being a very solid head coach as long as Tennessee fans are patient with him and, and, and give him the time that he needs to sort of settle into those decisions. Tennessee and being patient don't typically go together and certainly don't go together at this time in this particular place uh, in that program's existence. No, and, and you and I are, are kind of on our own here on this because – we were fine with the Tennessee fan revolt. I was fine. Yeah, totally we, fine. We, we actually thought it was probably a good thing. And, you know, the, the reason I said what I, I wrote what I wrote when, when they kind of vetoed the Shiano hire, I didn't think they went about it the right way. I, I thought the attaching the Penn State allegation, which was double hearsay that – Greg Schiano has vehemently denied. You know, he didn't lawyer up. He didn't. He didn't say, "Oh, here's what my lawyers." No, he said, "I did not do this. This did not happen." And it's double hearsay that the investigators did not feel credible enough to to follow up on. So that part of it, I didn't think shown a great light on the Tennessee fan base. But them having football objections to hiring Greg Schiano, I I'm fine with that. Greg Schiano's personality traits are quite similar. To Butch Jones's personality traits when it comes to, uh, you know, having rabbit ears a little bit, obsessing over things that don't really matter. That's something that you cannot have as the head coach at Tennessee because that is in a, a very intense fishbowl in Knoxville. I think it's probably as intense as anywhere except maybe Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And, and look, I you know, Tennessee fans, I, I think what, what really bothered me about the whole situation was – the fact that a lot of people in, in our line of work seem to forget or just conveniently overlooked the fact that it took, it was about a five-hour you know period where Tennessee fans were flat-out furious about Greg Schiano for strictly football purposes. Like yes. the, the dots had not been connected to the Penn State thing. So this idea that it was this some sort of like Clay Travis led revolt. Like that's just not true. No, like, and, and it was also there were donors, there were former players. This was not just the rank and file fan base, but the fact that it was so much of the rank and file fan. Listen, when when all of your customers rise up and say, "I will not buy what you are going to sell me," you need to think about what you're selling them. You need to change your product. 
Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you do. Well, and, and that's here's the thing about the Tennessee fans that, that a lot of folks don't get. And and I covered that beat for a couple of years, lived in Knoxville, so I understand them a little more than I do maybe other programs that I haven't covered day to day. But the last nine years, they have been handed poop sandwich after poop sandwich. Yeah. And been told, eat this, you'll like it. And then when they say they don't like it, they're told, no, you like it. Well, guess what? If you keep doing that to your customers, they're going to get pissed. Yeah, they are. And that's that's what's happened with Tennessee. So they were about to be handed another poop sandwich, and they said no. Now, here's the thing. They may not like this hire either. Because what happened did limit Tennessee's pool of coaches that it could hire sure. from. So they may not like this one either. But I think the person they hire this time is probably going to get more support than maybe they would have because this fan base probably wants to say, look, we're not crazy. We just want a better product. That's well, and, why we did what we did. And they're more willing to, to, to be risky now because, I mean, it was the, the, the Dave Doran, you know, rumor. was Holy sort of a, cow. That, that was a, that was a light version of that. So, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where, okay, if you hire Greg Schiano, if you hire Dave Dorn, you're going to be eight and four, and you're not going to contend for that many SEC East titles. Maybe you do here or there if you catch an upset right or whatever, but you're basically going to have more or less the same product, right? Like they're more willing to say, all right, like let's roll the dice, let's let's go up and coming coordinator, or let's go group of five coach, or let's go Lane Kiffin, like. They want more risk because the because you know, the reward the is potentially higher. Yeah, the, yeah, and the conservative route has just not worked out at all for them at any point. Yeah, you're right, and and so now it looks like they may be getting a coordinator. If you look at everybody now, Kevin Steele's been a head coach before, and that did not that go didn't well. Work out very so, well. So, uh, yeah, I I do wonder how how well they'd be able to sell that kind of hire, but. You know, if, if let's say they hire Jeremy Pruitt, I thought it was interesting that Phil, what Phil Fulmer said when he was elevated to AD, because somebody asked him, you know, does a person need Power Five head coaching experience to get this job? And Phil Fulmer goes, I'm not going to limit it that way. Remember, I wasn't a head coach when yeah. I became the head coach at Tennessee. Now, and, and now, I he thought got about the that. job in a little different way. Yeah, <laughs> very similar to the way he got the AD job. To be to be perfectly honest. Yes. Uh, it was a little bit of a palace coup in both cases. So Johnny Majors, John Curry, I think you have some things you can talk about. <laughs> then but, go to the bar and hang out together. Exactly. Well, and Johnny Majors will tell some good stories. I can tell you that right now. But the the assistant thing is interesting to me because let's let's look at the college football playoff, Barrett. Mm -hmm. So there's Alabama, where Nick Saban was the Miami Dolphins head coach before he got hired at Alabama. So that's that's cool. That's fine. But then you've got Georgia. Kirby Smart was Alabama's defensive coordinator two years ago. He'd never been a head coach before. They're playing Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley was the, the offensive coordinator this time last year. Yep. Never been a head coach before. Then you've got Clemson. Dabo Sweeney was the freaking receivers coach before he became the head coach. <laughs> so you don't have to be a sitting head coach to be good at this. No, you don't. I mean, I think it's it's definitely okay to to hire a coordinator and and take a risk on a guy, uh, as long as you're okay with speed bumps, as long as you're okay with with letting him, you know, be your guy and 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 making sure that 
you give him the time to to learn on the job. And and look, I mean, it's it's hard to be a head football coach. Like you have to make decisions that you've never made before, and even if you've rehearsed them in your minds, it's harder to do them on the fly. And so you well, have to uh, Tom, time Tom Herman tells a great story about his first year at Houston, his first year as a head coach, mm-hmm. where in the first game, he's standing there and the punt team isn't out on the field. It's fourth down and fourth and short, and the punt team hasn't run on the field yet. And he's looking around, he's like, Why isn't the punt team on the field? And then he realized, oh wait, I'm supposed to tell the <laughs> other coaches <laughs> whether we're going for it or punting. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, it's the idea, and Dabo Sweeney is a perfect example. Clemson basically said, all right, you know, and people forget, Dabo Sweeney lived for about five years on the hot seat. Like, he was on the hot seat every single year for the first five years of his career, it seemed, uh, even after he won division titles. Uh, so, you know, if, if, you, if you let a guy build it in his own image, then, then it, it might work. It, it might, he might grow. And a perfect example is, is I think, Auburn this year. Gus Malzahn had one year of head coaching experience before he got that job in 2013. He went to a national title, right? That accelerated the clock. Like, that, that basically said, all right, you're supposed to be awesome right now, all the time. Right, Will, and that what, he had not had time to build his program. Right, and Will Muschamp the same way. In year two at Florida, they, they, you know, they didn't go to the SEC championship game, but they were in the, in the, in the BCS mix, remember. They were... That sort of oh, if you know seven different things happen on on championship weekend, maybe we have Florida sneak in, you know. So and that accelerated his clock, you know. And obviously it turned out very very badly him for him the next couple of years. But you know, look at what happened with Gus Malzahn. Now he figured out how to be a big time head coach this year, five years after getting the job and going to a national championship game. Will Muschamp, I think, figured it out this year. You know, a lot, a, a, six years after getting the head coaching job at Florida, and now he's at South Carolina. So, it's it, you, it can happen. It does not. You, you do not have to go out there and hire an established coach if you're Tennessee or if you're anybody. You, you just have to make sure that if you're going to go in in that direction, up and coming coach, coordinator, group of five, you know, uh, hot shot, whatever, just give him time. Don't necessarily expect perfection. And Nick Saban right then and there, because it's not going to happen. That's right. I want to shift gears a little bit now, Barrett, because uh, you live in the town where the national championship game will be played, and there's some, some fan bases that are hoping they'll be in Atlanta for the national championship game. We need to tell these people where to eat. Now, we do. That's the important part of this podcast. You, you and I agree wholeheartedly on Heirloom Barbecue. Correct. As Atlanta's best barbecue. Now, for those who haven't had the pleasure, this is a barbecue place run by a former Korean pop star. <laughs> that is 100% she became a accurate. chef after after having some success in the in the K-pop industry, and so it is it is a Korean kind of tinged barbecue place. But they do the barbecue as well as anybody. They smoke the meat as well as anybody, and then she adds these touches. Uh, the The Korean pulled pork sandwich, I think, is is the best thing there. It's really really good. Um, that's what I always get to, and the table sauce that they have. Uh, we always go get that when we're at parties. We always go get like gallons of their table sauce. But yeah, heirloom market. It, people will say, "Oh, you got to go to Fox Brothers." I mean, Fox Brothers is is good. I like Fox Brothers. It's and good. It's, it's good if you have a big group and you want to sit down. Heirloom yeah. market. You're just going and picking it up because yeah, there's not really a place to sit. Yeah, it's next to a convenience stand store. Up. You got to stand up. Um, you know, they've it, they've uh, they've got a nice little area now, but. 
I mean, it's in a convenience store. It's, it's basically what the video store was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Right, right. Like, right. That's, that's basically— Randall's exactly not behind it, the counter, yeah. but yeah. It's pretty much how that whole thing is operated. So, um, yeah, Heirloom Market is—and it's right near the Battery, which is where the SunTrust Park is for the Braves. And, it, you know, for people that are in town, it's, it's eight, nine miles away. Don't be fooled by the Internet, you know, freak out about the Braves not being in Atlanta. It's right by the stadium. It's it's a very quick drive. It's probably a $15 Uber from downtown if you're staying downtown. Heirloom Market is phenomenal. Now, you and I also agree on Bee's Crackland Barbecue, which is not necessarily yes, I'm a an huge Atlanta fan. staple. Like, if if Clemson gets in, you folks from South Carolina, yes. especially if you're not from right around Clemson, if you're from down further uh, Columbia, if you're from down in Charleston, Go to Bees Crackling because you're gonna love it. It's yeah. it's much more of a South Carolina barbecue place than anything else, uh, specifically because they serve hash and rice as a side. Oh, it's so good. Hash is not a side, and rice is not a side. Hash and rice is the name of the side, and it's not. If you're from any other part of the country, it's not what you think hash is. It's not like corned beef hash. It is what is left over from the barbecue, mm-hmm. basically just put in a pot and stirred for like 20 hours yeah it's uh it's it's almost like a uh, like a like a pork bowl sort of thing like it, it's almost like a, a a barbecue version of like a mexican burrito bowl if that makes sense yeah it, but, but as a soup yeah exactly yeah or exactly. it's more of a stew than a soup it's more of a stew yeah it's yeah more of a stew. but it's um, not now they also serve brunswick stew which is a, a different deal entirely which is a tomato based um stew that you make with with pork and with vegetables uh their brunswick stew is really good but it's not as good as their hash and rice and hash and rice you also um use organ meat in yeah which is which is a little bit different and 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 they've got a, that place now it's off bolton road it's it's near downtown you can it's near get the airport it's easy to get to yeah. from the airport it's, that's it's, it's that's it's, key it's very it's a it's a very solid place they've got cornhole outside they've got live music um, it's in a, a kind of a eclectic area, kind of a, you know, sort of a mix of all kinds of different folks around there. It's a great place. I mean, it is a wonderful place. Uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't say, I think heirlooms better barbecue, but, uh, in terms of atmosphere and in terms of bringing a group, I would go to bees over. Bob right. Cause you can get it. T- yeah. Day. And you can get a table and you can sit. Now, if we want to go non-barbecue, if you want to get pizza, you want to go down near Georgia Tech, uh, down near where the IKEA is, mm-hmm. and go to Antico. Yeah. This, the and there's o- an Antico in the battery too. Right. The yes. the ovens at this place are unbelievable. They're imported from. They bring the ovens in from Italy. Uh, the Dia- the the Diavola is my favorite. That's the soprasata uh, and pepperoni with the buffalo mozzarella. That's what I get every single oh, time. Oh my god! It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. The crust is perfect. Uh, if you've if you've had really good New York style pizza, you know that the best of it is not super thin and super hard. That there's some chew to it as well, but it's not super thick like a Chicago style. Uh, and, and you need an oven that can get this hot to make that happen. And those these ovens are like 900 to 1100 degrees, I think. And it just it it cooks it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so that's wonderful. I had something the other day in Atlanta, and I had not been to Pont City Market before, Barrett. I need a night where I can eat my eat and drink my way through Pont City Market. 
Yeah, that's like Pond City Market. It, it is it's sort of like you know it's it's a nice little walking area. There's a bunch of different places uh, to eat and drink. You can kind of take your your. You know what you know what Pond City Market is for those of us that are dads and you and I are. It's like Epcot. Yes. It's, like, it's almost like we're, we're except like, the food's can, a lot better. Except right, but like you you can just sort of just eat and drink your way around and and have a night of it. Like that's or, what, or if you're from New York, it's kind of like Italy. Exa- yeah, exactly. So. Uh, yeah, Pont City Market is great. They've done a lot of uh, stuff over there. And that's, again, for those of the fans that are coming in for the national championship game, that'll be pretty close. Like, all these things are, are within, you know, 10 miles of where the concerts are, where Luke Bryan is, and all the other so uh, acts what, that are what, playing. What you need to get at Pont City Market, if you go to Monero, which is mm-hmm. one of, I think, two Mexican places there, and get the charcoal grilled chicken wings. They bring them to you in a brown paper bag. I haven't had those yet. These might be the best wings I've ever had, Barrett. They're amazing. Really? They are so good. So uh, they take Valentina hot sauce, and they sprinkle it in the bag, and they shake it up, and then they dump them out. They they come out it's because they're not drowned in sauce. They're just just a little touch of it, and they're you got the char from the grill, but they're not greasy because they're not fried. And it is and it, they're, but they're still just as because it's hard. To grill chicken wings, it's hard to smoke chicken wings yeah. because you have to pull them at exactly the right time yeah, or they you, dry out. You got to watch them. These guys have it down to a science. And I'm telling you, Monero, get yourself a margarita on the rocks and, and a bunch of these. Now, they have great tacos there, too. But honestly, if I go again, I'm getting like six bags of wings and just saying everybody dig in. I'm 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 actually going to Pond City Market in a couple days, so that that is my my next stop. Then the the one place I don't know if you've been here, and I, it's a relatively new place in East Atlanta called Gun Show. I have and not been to Gun Show yet. I really really want to go. Gun Show is awesome. Now I can't tell you what to get because it changes, and it's kind of like gambling, not kind of. It it actually is gambling on food because you sit there. And there are like 10 different chefs working and they all make one dish per night. Like each chef has one dish per night and they just come to your table one at a time and they only come to your table once. And if you say yes, then they give you a small dish and you eat it. And if you say no, then you miss that entire dish. Like it's not coming back and you have to eat something else. So meat roulette. I love it. it. It basically is, and and like so, there's all, and there's it's not just meat. Like there's a vegetarian plate, and like if you take the vegetarian plate or you eat the salad, like come on, like don't do better than that. Um, but and sometimes there's soups or whatever. But you don't know what anybody else is cooking. Like you can look at other tables and kind of be like, okay, that looks like um, you know some sort of of you know kebab or something. You know, okay, so I'm I'm gonna wait for that to come around. But you have there's no menu, there's no nothing other than a drink menu and a name of these chefs and they just come by and you say yes or no. And if you say no, they don't come back. And it's, it is a, it is a fun, fun atmosphere, a different sort of, uh, sort of place. And this food is all good. Like it is so good. Now, while we're in East Atlanta, one more, the fried chicken biscuit with gravy at homegrown mm-hmm. that, that you, everybody needs to have that. That is a, just a, it's not. They've not been open that long, but I I have a feeling that's going to become kind of an Atlanta staple, like a just a big deal, that, you know, that everybody knows. Oh, you've been homegrown. Uh, it is a wonderful meal for like ten bucks. It's it's incredible. It's uh, it, it is very very surprising if if you if you're not ready for it, how good it is. I mean, it is. 
you it's, order it's three things it three parts the biscuit the chicken and the gravy they're all fairly simple but they're done with such great competence and then you put that all together and it's it's just incredible so that's that's what we went through about what seven different Atlanta restaurants and people are going to be in Atlanta for the national championship game for three days. Happy Maybe? eating. <laughs> that's right. That, write a checklist. Now you've got a reason to root even harder for your team in the semifinals. Barrett Salee, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. We're going to have to do this again soon. My pleasure, dude. And I will see you very soon.